This program is brought to you by Emory University. Welcome uh, to the Dean's Lecture. I'm not the Dean, but I am filling in for the Dean. She has been called out by the Southern Association of Accreditation uh, to be in meetings today. Because of that, uh, she has asked me uh, to come in and to, to take the honor uh, today of introducing our speaker. Let me welcome you. My name is David Key. I'm Director of Baptist Studies uh, here at Candler. And this truly is a wonderful, historic day in some ways uh, for us uh, as a school to be hosting uh, the uh, sitting president of the Southern Baptist Convention, but we'll introduce him in just a moment. And I know you'll be as delighted as those of us who've been with him have been all morning. Uh, but I would ask Cassandra Henderson to please come up and uh, begin today uh, by a prayer, a prayer of blessing of the food. Uh, and if there's still boxes out there, we're the type that encourage you to go ahead and eat any. Are there any boxes left? So if you didn't get a say, if you hadn't, if you happen not to, feel free to go out and get a box. We'd love for you to. But Cassandra's going to lead us in a blessing this morning. Let us go to God in prayer. Most gracious and loving God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here today, to fellowship with one another, to hear a wonderful word of encouragement and thought and scholarship and leadership and service. We pray that you would bless the hands that prepare the meals that we are partaking in. Let it be for our nourishment and growth and development. Touch our ears so that we may hear, touch our hearts so that we may discern, and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that the words that we hear today are not dormant, but that we take them and teach them to others. We love you and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cassandra. And if you have not been getting our information of Baptist activities on campus, either see myself or Cassandra, and we'll make sure you're on the email list and getting everything that you need for that. Uh, today we are honored to have uh, Reverend Fred Luter, Jr. Uh, here is our um, guest speaker for the lecture series today. Uh, let me begin by saying it's evident, being around uh, Pastor Luter, the love that he has for God and the love he has for Jesus and the love that he has for the church, that's what you're gonna see in the next hour. You're gonna see someone who is humble, someone who is a pastor, first and foremost, and one who uh, truly has lived the experience uh, uh, throughout his ordained ministry. He is one of those New Orleans who were born in New, or New Orleanians, who were born in New Orleans, and who will die in New Orleans, and who will have worked ever between the two. You know, he, uh, uh, he, he uh, just bleeds New Orleans um, life, and that's why we love, the, we love New Orleans for that. Um, Yes, the, the, most, the most noteworthy thing within the last two years is yes, Fred Luter is the first African-American president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And if you really don't understand the significance of that, I'll be glad to sit down with you one-on-one -on -one and articulate for you why having someone who really broke through uh, one barrier uh, in, in religious life in America, uh, it, it, we truly are, it's, it's a gift for us to be in his presence. So yes. Trademark that he will live with for the rest of his life, and well, well done. He identifies more as pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. And the Franklin Avenue Baptist Church is a significant church under his leadership, numerically, having grown from just under 100 to well over 8,000 just because of his leadership 
with that. And so for those of you who want to have your own uh, large church someday, uh, uh, Reverend Luter is one who you can uh, have as a mentor and can learn uh, how to do it. Today, that, that distinguishes them even more. So if you're not Baptist, if you don't care about pastoring a large mega church and you don't plan on being president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think today one of the significant things is Reverend Luter, because of the devastation of Katrina and what Katrina did to the city of New Orleans, he was one of those individuals, and there weren't a lot of them, but he was one of the religious figures that went back, planted his life back in New Orleans, back in a devastated area, back in a time of saying, even though my context has been devastated, I will follow Jesus back to where Jesus has called me and will rebuild the context. So as we at Candler talk about context so much, and we talk about contextual ministry, what all that means for all of our students, today I want you to meet someone who was willing to go back to a devastated context and was willing to rebuild after having spent years building and then having lost all of the physical things related to, to the building, and then has gone back in and begun rebuilding not only his church, but his community and his city. So we are so fortunate today uh, to have Reverend Fred Luter, and I hope before you leave the lecture day, you at least get a one-on-one -on -one contact with him, because then you'll realize uh, what a really true blessing that he is. Reverend Luter, we're so glad to have you here, and welcome to Candler School of Theology. We appreciate your presence Thank you, here today. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. good morning. How's everybody doing? Amen. Who that, who that, who that talk about meeting them saints? Just need to put that out there. Just get in trouble with all the Falcons fans right up front, right up front. I can like, amen, amen. It is a joy and a privilege to Dean Love in our absence, to David and to all the who assembled here. I'm indeed delighted and excited because I have been invited to be here with you at the Candler Seminary, at Candler School of Theology, and to share in this lecture series with you. I want to thank off Cal for picking me up yesterday at the airport and getting to know her and just having a chance to share and talk about Emmerich. It's my first time here. I'd never been here before, and so it's always a joy to be here. And then when I got here this morning, I saw some familiar faces that I've been knowing a long time, the Hendersons from Green Forest Community Church where Dr. McCaleb, one of my mentors in the faith, was at now Dr. Mitchell is uh, there, and it's good to see them. But of course, the gentleman that I did not know was going to be here, uh, that I was honored to see, was Dr. Emmanuel McCall, uh, who I found out is an alumni, of, uh, alumnus of uh, Emory University. Dr. McCall is uh, one of those gentlemen who I'm standing on his shoulders. Uh, he was in Southern Baptist life long before I was even considered to be Southern Baptist. I became a Southern Baptist in 1986. Dr. McCall has been a part of this since 68, so he's a trailblazer and one that I'm so honored to, that he was here this morning, and uh, the thank God for you, brother. I'm literally standing on you, so I would not be in a position that I'm in today if it would not be for brothers like you and others who are, who are trailblazers in this convention. So I just want to thank God for your presence here, and for all of you who are here with us on today, I am honored to just share in this time of lecture with you. I want to again thank David for inviting me. I know David knows a lot of pastors and preachers across the city, state, and nation that can be here uh, this morning, but I'm so honored, my brother, you thought enough of this street preacher from New Orleans, Louisiana, to come and share and be a part of, a, of a, this lecture series. Let me just give you a little background about myself, and then I'll go into the reason that I've been invited, and that's to lecture about the, my Katrina 
experience. I'm born and raised in New Orleans, as David uh, said. Uh, I've been there all my life. Mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old, and uh, I'm in the middle of five kids. My mom worked two or three jobs, not to make ends meet, to kind of make ends kind of wave at one another. Some of y'all may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and uh, but one of mama's rules was on Sunday morning, everybody goes to church. And so some of y'all remember that, that mom gave me that under the roof treatment. Boy, as long as you eat my food, drinking my water, and you're sleeping in my bed, you're going to church on Sunday morning. So I got that under the roof treatment and uh, grew up in church, uh, but really did not have a relationship with God. Uh, 1977, I was uh, hanging around with the wrong crowd, doing a lot of wrong things I should not have been doing. And I found myself in Charity Hospital in New Orleans, Louisiana. Had a hole in my head, compound fracture in my leg. And the senior deacon from the church I grew up in came to my hospital bed, maybe put his finger right here in my face, and flipping told me something like this. said, boy, obedience is better than sacrifice. You will be obedient to your mom. You will not be sacrificing your life here in this hospital. So Dr. Noah, for the first time, I started thinking seriously about my relationship with Christ. And there in that hospital bed, in Charity Hospital, holding my head, compound fracture in my leg, not knowing if I was going to live or die. I, I, I just cried out to God that night and said, God, I'll make a deal with you. I said, God, if you save me, I'll serve you all the days of my life. And uh, went to sleep that night, not knowing if I was going to wake up the next morning, but Carol woke up. So, oh man, God kept this part of the deal. So I guess God didn't take my part of the deal. And so I, I cried out to God that morning and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And that was in 1977. I, when I got out of the hospital, I had a long leg cast on my leg and uh, I was able to go to the church that I grew up in when I was able to go and I, uh, when the invitation was extended, I walked down the aisles of the church I grew up in just crying like a baby and people just think, oh, he's coming to tell the church, thank you for praying with me and for me. But here was a church, I was, I was 21 years old at the time, a church I grew up in. I just literally got in front of congregations and said, folks, I've been living a lie all these years. I, uh, I know how y'all have been seeing me here in the church, but I leave choir and rehearsal, I go to the club. I leave this place, I go out in the street. I said, but uh, for whatever reason, God saved my life. I, sh I should be dead right now. God saved my life, and I want to make a public confession uh, that I apologize to you for, for faking this thing. I, uh, I repent before you. I repent before God, and I want to give my heart and my life to, the, to Jesus Christ. And so that was in 1977. I was so enthused about this new relationship that I had with God that I immediately started a street ministry. I, I started preaching on the street corners of the Lord. I grew up in the Lord Night Water, the city of New Orleans. So every Saturday at 12 noon, I'd be preaching on different street corners of the Lord Night Ward, just sharing the gospel by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I was doing street ministry until the time that I started pastoring Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, there's some people even today who will come to Franklin Avenue and say, man, I remember you and I, when you was out on that street corner, man. I thought you were a crazy dude, but you know, when I got saved, God just miraculously saved my life that I wanted everybody that I knew to get saved. I want all my partners that I used to run the street with, Butcher and Coon and Bubble and Black and Joe, I want Ro, I want all those guys to get saved. So every Saturday at 12 noon, I'd be preaching on different street corners of the city of New Orleans, just sharing my faith. And uh, in 1986, uh, uh, I was, uh, I accepted my call into the ministry in 1983, started preaching the gospel. In 1986, I was preaching in the National Baptist Church in New Orleans called Greater Liberty Baptist Church. Uh, and I was preaching there because I grew up National Baptist. And one of the people heard me there and said, Frankly, I'm just looking for a pastor. Are you interested? About the time my wife and I they were really praying about uh, my, my future and what, what I wanted to do. And I said, Wait a minute, Frankly, I'm I said, Wait, that's that white church 
over there on Frank Island Lewis. I said, black folk don't go there. I said, no, no, since 1970s, late 1970s, there was a, a white flight. Whites moved out of the neighborhood, blacks moved in. So since 1980, Franklin Avenue has been a predominantly black church. And that's how I became a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I did not know anything about the history of this convention before I started pastoring Franklin Avenue. And Dr. McCall, it's probably a good thing that I didn't know about the history because I probably would not have been a Southern Baptist. It wasn't until I was pastoring Franklin Avenue flipping this God's child church. I was at three years, you know, we became a town where it was a church of 50 members at the time, Southern Baptist Mission Church. We had a, a mother church down the street. And uh, uh, I wasn't even ordained. I was a licensed preacher. I, I was ordained and installed on the same Sunday. Uh, the director of mission didn't think I should be there. He said, these people need an experienced pastor. They need somebody who's been in this thing a while. Uh, but for whatever the reason, they want you. You are not my choice, but this is my job description to you. You either go and resurrect this church or we're going to bury it. That's what he told me. I said, oh, Lord. And, uh, and so I went there uh, with a love for God, a love for God's word, a love for God's people. And, um, and by, uh, before a woman named Katrina hit, we had over 8,000 members. And God just miraculously just uh, uh, allowed that church to grow from 50 members to that part. And uh, so I, I, t I went there with, uh, uh, just knowing that if God can raise my life, God can raise the life of this church. And so long story short, church started growing and uh, uh, things started going real well. And in 19, 2011, I was in the Phoenix, Arizona at our convention and was catching a flight to go to New Orleans. And Dr. Chuck Kelly, president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, came up to me and said, Fred, a lot of us um, uh, uh, would really like you to consider running for president of Southern Baptist Convention. So we've never had an African-American president. We've been talking about our convention being more inclusive, involving other ethnic groups, and we've been talking this thing for a while. It's time for us to stop talking this thing and start living this thing. Say, so we want you to pray about it. Say, I don't know, Dr. Kelly. It's not anything I'm interested in. It's not on my bucket list. It's not anything I plan to do. I said, but I'll pray about it. And my wife and I prayed about it. My wife had a relationship with God that I envy, that I admire. She's the most influential person in my life. I, I, when I introduce her, she's normally with me. When I go places, I introduce her to the love of my life, the apple of my eye. I'm a prime rib, my good thing, amen. And so, uh, and I talked to it. So we prayed about it. Our church prayed about it. Long story short, I, I had a piece about it. So I announced to my church in uh, February 2012 that I I was going to run for the president of Southern Baptist Convention. Immediately, I get requests from all across the country about this uh, uh, position. And and I mean, and most of the journalists who called me to interview me, they wanted to know why in the world would a black man want to be president of a convention that was started as a result of slavery. And again, I did not realize that when I first got in the, in the, at Franklin Avenue. It wasn't until three years later we became an autonomous church that I found out about our history. And by that time, there were some people who said, you know, Pastor, we should get out of this convention. Uh, it's, uh, you know, got a lot of racism in this convention, a lot of problems in this convention. Uh, it started as a result of slavery. But I told the members of our church back then, this was back in 1980, Nine. Uh, I said, listen, all of us have a past. I've got a past. All of you in here got a past. Matter of fact, if I would have told y'all my past, y'all would have never elected me as president and pastor of this church. But that's a whole other story, a whole other time. And I say, uh, listen, there's nothing we can do about our past, but there's a whole lot we can do about our future. And I said, let's stay in this convention and let's prove to the people in this convention that black folk can do ministry as well as white folk can. I said, let's prove it to them. And I said, just let, let's continue to be people of the book, do the thing that God has called us to do, and by God's grace, we'll change some things in this convention. This was back in 1989, I had no idea that God was going to do what he did, what he done there. So, long story, the church started growing, 
I started getting invitations uh, all across the country, and we led the state in led the state in baptism, led the state in Sunday school attendance. And uh, in 2005, just before Katrina hit, we bought 90 acres of property, about uh, about 50 miles from where we are, to build a new sanctuary thing like that. But a woman named Katrina came, and uh, just destroyed everything. At nine feet of water at our church, five feet of water in my home, and I, I lost everything. Uh, my wife and I were in Birmingham, Alabama. The year before Katrina hit, Hurricane Ivan hit the city. And we had to evacuate that year. And so we had a son in school in Dallas at DBU. And uh, we said, let's go spend two days with our son. Because normally when a hurricane hits in the city of New Orleans, you evacuate two days and then you're back in the city. So we went to Dallas, Texas, spent two days with him. Then we came back home. But next year when Katrina hit, I know we said, well, let's go spend two days with our daughter in Birmingham. Well, as you know, the only problem with this time, the levers broke. If the levers would not have broken, I would not be here at Emory today. I would not be at Channel today. But because of the, the levers breaking, uh, our city was devastated. 80%, literally 80% of our city was underwater. Uh, I was telling you, it's hard to believe that when I bring uh, guys in town, revivalists, or have guests in town, uh, well, I'll be driving on the interstate, and I say, guys, look as far as your eyes can see, from north, south, east, west, everything you see was underwater. And it's hard just to imagine that, that an entire city was underwater, but 80% of our city was underwater, and I'm, uh, uh, and again, it's just it's devastated me. And so my wife and I were in Birmingham, Alabama, looking at this devastation of Hurricane Katrina, seeing the places we grew up in underwater, the schools I went to underwater. My wife has, a, she's a pharmacist uh, from Xavier. Uh, Xavier was underwater. Tulane was underwater. Uh, Yola was underwater. Suno Southern University was underwater. New Orleans Seminary, where I, got, where I went to, was underwater. Everything was underwater. And I'm looking at that. And I just looked up to heaven. I remember like it was yesterday. I said, God, why don't you do something? God, this is not right, people. This is a city in America. Elderly people and babies were dying because they couldn't get water or food in a city in America. I was angry with God. I was angry with our president. I was angry with our mayor. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to read my Bible. And I know that never happened to you super religious folk in this day. But I was, David, I was in a bad place. Because I could not understand how something like that could happen in a city in America. Man, we can send people to the moon, but we cannot send food or, to folk that they would not die in a city in America. So I cried out to God. I said, God, this is not right. God, why don't you do something? I remember like it was yesterday. And, and, and because of my, my anger and because of my insecurity, I, I, I almost crossed the line with God. And there in Birmingham, Alabama, God, I remember like it was yesterday, Dr. McCall, it wasn't an audible voice, but God said, Fred, before you cross the line, I need you to consider something. And God gave me this passage of scripture, Mark chapter 4. So I want you to check this out, and, 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 and I want you to understand that I know what's going on, I understand what's going on, but this is not the end for you, for your ministry, or for the city of New Orleans. So here in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, is the passage of Scripture that when I was going through my pity party, when I was going through my difficult time uh, uh, with understanding what happened in New Orleans, God reminded me through his grace and mercy of what I was dealing with and what I was uh, going through. So, so, so here in this passage of scripture is a part of my testimony and share with you how God got me through this thing. So Mark chapter 4, 
beginning at verse 35, you'll find these similar words. The Bible said, on the same day when evening had come, Jesus said unto them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boats, and it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillar, and they said unto him, Master, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus arose and rebuked the sin and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I love verse 40. And Jesus said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, who can this man be? Can James say, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. So when I looked at this passage of scripture, it just reminded me of what was going on in the city because it happens to every one of us sooner or later in life. It happens to every believer or every child of God sooner or later. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Doesn't matter how long you've been born again. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your vocation. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your uh, your religious affiliation. Uh, uh, all of us will go through difficult times in life. You be a school teacher like my daughter, an attorney, a preacher boy like my wife, a pharmacist, a pharmacist like my wife, an accountant, business owner, a seminary professor. A student, uh, 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 that doesn't matter, but, but sooner or later, you, you will go through some difficult and some tough times in life. Doesn't matter your denomination, you can be National Baptist, Southern Baptist, American Baptist, you can be Methodist, Church of God in Christ, uh, uh, Presbyterian, uh, uh, interdenominational, you can be a uh, 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 Kojic, uh, uh, you can be full gospel, uh, you can be like the many people that I pastored for many years in New Orleans, you can be bedside Baptist. <laughs> Now those are the kind of folk flipping that when it gets too hot, when it gets too cold, uh, they don't go to church that morning. Their pastor that morning is Pastor Seely Pastor Peter Manches. And his sister pastor is Pastor Pillar. Amen. Some of y'all may, may know something, but I promise you sooner or later it will happen too. It doesn't matter your race. You can be Anglo, you can be Hispanic, you can be Asian, Indian, African American. But sooner or later, I've discovered it will happen. And what will happen, guys, is that somewhere along your Christian journey, storms will come. Somewhere along your Christian journey, uh, difficult times will come. And somewhere between the time that you're born and the time that you die, you're going to have some tough times in life. So until the time you take your first breath in life and the time you take your last breath in life, trouble, heartaches, and pain will knock at your door. So until the time that you're born and the time that you die, you're going to endure some difficult times in life. And to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, my concern this morning is this. It's not that we have storms, not that, Carol, we have trouble, not that we have tribulation. But my concern is, what do we do when those tough times come? Yes. We're going to have them. We can't avoid them. Every last one of us in here will go through it. None of us are exempt from it. Uh, 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 but, but, but the question is, what do you do when those tough times come? For I discovered, ladies, it doesn't matter how many scriptures you know by memory. doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the church. Doesn't matter what role you may have in the church. I've discovered that in spite of all the past blessings of God in our lives, in spite of all the things that God has done in our life, I've discovered that many of us still don't know what to do when those tough times come in our lives. So the question of the hour, 
of the half hour that I have left is uh, how do we handle those times? How do we deal with those difficult times? Uh, 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 how do we deal with those things? I know you didn't go through Hurricane Katrina like I did, but I promise you, there are people in this room, you've gone through some storms. How do you handle the storm of a divorce? How do you handle the storm of an unfaithful spouse? How do you handle the storm of an unexpected death where someone near and dear to you has died unexpectedly? How do you handle the storm of sickness? How do you handle the storm of jealousy in the ministry, envy in the ministry, hardship in the ministry? How do you handle the financial hardships when your money is funny and your change is strange? How do you handle those difficult times in your life? Not somebody else's marriage, your marriage. Not somebody else's family, your family. Not somebody else's son, your son. Not somebody else's daughter, your daughter. How do you handle those difficult times of in your life, on your job, uh, in the ministry? What, what do you do in church when the deacons get devilish and the trustees get tricky and the choir acts cranky and the members act messy and the students act sinful and the preacher gets pushy? What, what do you do when those, those difficult times Henderson comes in, in your life and my life, uh, in your life? How do you handle those tough times? How do you handle those difficult times? Whether it's a storm, whether it's back surgery, whether it's a situation that you're going to, how do you handle those difficult times in life? Well, I've discovered, just based on day, what I went through, I've discovered, Dr. McCall, that faith is the first area, Dr. McCall, that the enemy works on. When you're going through a tough time in life, when you're going through a difficult time in life, I've discovered that faith is the first area that the enemy works on. Uh, 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 again, just, just, just share with you my, my testimony. I'm just sitting there in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm, 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 I'm looking at what's going on in our city. I'm saying, yeah, people boarded on boats and helped on helicopters and wrestlers on rooftops and wading through the water, doomed in the Superdome, crying in the convention center, fussing with FEMA, ranting with Red Cross, irate about things going on. I look up to heaven. I say, God, why don't you do something? Say, God, this is not right. People are dying. People's lives are being taken. God, why don't you do something? And for the first time in my life, Dr. McCall, my faith was literally shaken. I'm pastoring the largest church in the city of New Orleans. I'm pastoring one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And my faith was literally shaken. Now, 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 now don't get me wrong. I, I do understand and and I told people, when I get to heaven, God and I are going to have a long talk about this thing. But uh, somebody told me, Carol, when I get to heaven, boy, you're going to be so glad you made it in. You're going to worry about that. They're probably right, though. They're probably right. I'd be so glad to walk those streets of gold, man. I ain't going, I'm going to forget all about Hurricane Katrina, man. But what I don't understand and what I didn't understand to this day, my church was flooded, nine feet of water. My home was flooded. My wife, the home that God allowed my wife and I to build from the ground up. The schools I went to was flooded. The, uh, uh, the places that were my neighborhood, Little Night Water, was just taken out, was flooded up. Uh, 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 everything. But this is the thing that messed me up, y'all. Bourbon Street was high and dry. <laughs> Bourbon Street didn't even flood. Matter of fact, it was the hist and it was the first time in the history of Bourbon Street that it was dry. Some of y'all may get that later. <laughs> and I look at that and say, God, this is not right. God, God, this is this is not this is not fair. And again, I I know some, there's some things that God was not pleased with, but God, you know, my question to God, God, you know, why not just take out of those things in New Orleans that you have a problem with, God? If you got a problem with the strip clubs, why not take out the strip clubs in Bourbon Street? You got a problem with the satanic churches that are still in existence in New Orleans today. God, why not take out the satanic churches? But God, my church was flooded. New Orleans Seminary was flooded. But Bourbon Street was high and dry. So my faith was literally shaken. Kind of remind me of a story that I heard um, years ago, David, that this guy was walking through the wilderness and he wasn't watching where he was going, so he fell into this pit. 
And all he was able to do was hold on to this branch. He looked down, there was nothing but darkness. He looked up, he couldn't climb out of that thing. So he began to cry, hey, is anybody up there? Nothing. Hey, is anybody up there? Nothing. Hey, is anybody up Nothing. After a while, the verse came back and the verse said, I'm here. The guy said, who is it? Verse said, this is God. He said, oh, God, I knew you were coming to my rescue. God, I knew you. God said, believe I can save you. Yes, God. God said, do you trust me? Yes, God. God said, you have faith in me? Yes, God. I have. God said, let go of the branch. <laughs> there was a long period of silence there. After a while, verse came back. Hey, is anybody else up there? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I can't explain it to you. I can't show it to you in the scripture. But I have discovered that every now and then, God will allow us to go through some stuff that will literally shake our faith. Every now and then, for whatever the reason, God will allow us as his sons and daughters to experience some things in life that will literally shake our faith. I've discovered that anybody can talk about faith, anybody can write about faith, anybody can preach about faith, anybody can teach about faith, but every now and then, our faith will be challenged. Well, our back is against the wall, and literally nobody's there for you. Mama's not there, dad is not there, sister's not there, brother's not there, pastor's not there, church, and your back is against the wall, and all you got is God. All you got is God. And every now and then, God would just put us in situations, let me say, let me see if you really trust me like you say you do. And that's where I was at. They're sitting in Birmingham, Alabama. No job. No congregation, two kids in college. God, what am I going to do? And it was at that point that I recall that God brought me to Mark chapter 4. And Fred, I need you to learn a lesson from this passage of scripture. So God spoke to me in three ways about this passage of scripture that I want to share with you how I got through my ordeal through Hurricane Katrina, how I got through my pity party with Hurricane Katrina. And three things that God had to remind me. And three things that, that I trust and pray that, that, that you will remember when those difficult times are come in your life. Here in Mark chapter 4, a picture of Jesus and his disciples. Now, these guys have been with him now, they've been several years. They know he's the Messiah. They know he's the Son of God. They, they've seen his miracles. They've heard his sermons. They, they know that he is the Son of God. Yet, they still didn't know what to do when the storm came. They didn't know what to do when difficult times came. So I want to share with you three things that God reminded me when I was having my pity party in Birmingham, Alabama, that you must never, ever forget when difficult times come. Three things that literally got me out of the pit during my Hurricane Katrina. Number one, brothers and sisters, you must remember the promises of Jesus Christ. You must remember the promises of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, uh, the scripture says, the word of God says, Jesus says unto them, uh, uh, on the same day when the evening had come, he said, let's go to the other side. One of the things that the enemy will cause you to do when you're going through tough times is, is to forget all the promises of God in his word. God has a promise in his word for every one of us who are sons and daughters of God. You must remember the promises of Jesus. Jesus had told them, fellas, let's go to the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't come to drown. He came to down a cross. He'd come to drown. Matter of fact, he couldn't drown. Not here. Not in Mark chapter 4. Because he had not yet been betrayed by Judas. He couldn't drown. Not here. Because he had not yet been arrested by the Roman soldiers. He couldn't drown. He had not yet brought before kangaroo court and for Caiaphas and, and Pilate and all those guys. He couldn't drown. Because they had not yet marched up a hill called Calvary for the sins of mankind. He couldn't drown. 
He had not died on the cross and cried those seven saints from the cross. The first would be, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That full cry from the cross, Eli, Eli, Lamba Sabathani, why God, why has thou forsaken me? He couldn't drown here, now yet cried that seven cry from the cross. My father, dad, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Then he died, he died, he died for you and for you and for you, and he died for me. He couldn't drown. Then you put him in Joseph Barber's tomb and couldn't drown. Then I rose again on resurrection morning, all power in his hand. Dead, where is that stain? Grave, where is that victory? He couldn't drown. When he rose again from the grave, he couldn't drown. That's why I said, boys, let's go to the other side. When tough times come, when difficult times come, you must remember the promises of Jesus Christ. And brothers, this is all throughout the Bible. God has promises in his word for every last one of us. Psalm 37, 25, David said, I have been young, but now I'm old. But I've never, ever seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That, that, that's a promise. Psalms 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's a promise. Isaiah 26 and 3, I'll keep thee in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because they trust in the Lord. That, that's a promise. Isaiah 40 and 31, but they that wait, but they that wait, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a promise. First Peter 5 and 8. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for, for you. That's a promise. Matthew 11 and 20. They said, come unto me. All you that labor and heavy laden. And I will. Not that I might. Not that there's a possibility. I will give you rest. Uh, 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 that's a promise. Romans 8 and 24. We know that all things, not just something, but all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, uh, that's a promise. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And lastly, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, no principality, no power, no thing, present, no thing to come, no height, no death, no any other creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God. When thinking of God's promises, like David, uh, the songwriter said it best, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roar. I felt some breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But Dr. Noah, I heard the voice of Jesus telling me still fight on. Why? Because he promised, he promised, he promised, he promised never to leave us, never to leave us alone. So God said, Fred, remember my promises. I didn't bring you this far just to leave you. But then there's the second thing he told me in the text. Not only remember the promises of Jesus, but secondly, remember the presence of Jesus. Remember the presence of Jesus. Verse 36 of the text said, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was right there in the boat with the disciples. He was right there in the boat with the disciples. He didn't leave them. He could have said, guys, uh, I gotta, we got to get ready for the next crusade. I'm physically drained. I got to get me a nap. Uh, 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 y'all pack up all the stuff. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to meet y'all on the other side. He could have said that, but he didn't. He was right there in the boat of Henderson St. Henderson with the disciples. And that reminded me that no matter what we go through, we go through a lot. His presence is right there with us. No matter if you're on a mountaintop or down in the valley, his presence is right there. And there are hundreds of folk in the scripture who if I would call for testimony, they'll tell you about, ask Noah about his presence. He built that ark when the sound of rain in the sky. Ask Moses about his presence as the Red Sea was in front of him, Pharaoh was behind him, mountains on both sides. And Moses, don't panic, just use what you got in your hand. And the Red Sea split in two and the children of Israel walked through 
on dry ground. Ask young David about his presence. So he went up against the big that ugly dude by the name of Goliath. Not with a 38, not with a Glock, not with a 22, not with an AK-47, with just a slingshot and some rocks. God gave David the victory over Goliath. Uh, uh, Ask Elijah about his presence. He stood on Mount Calm against Ahab Jezebel. 250 prophets of Baal. And the list goes on and on and on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, uh, uh, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. But not only that, I promise there's some people here at Canada in this lecture series right now who can testify of the promises of Jesus in the presence. Just when you're about to throw in the tower, just when you're about to do something crazy, just when you're about to do something foolish, God was with you through the way. I, I can't even imagine what Dr. McCall went through uh, in the early years as being one of the first African-Americans in a in the Southern Baptist Convention that had his issues with racism. Can't even imagine what he'd been through. But whatever the reason, he stuck there. And now I'm, a I'm in where I'm at where I'm at today because of that man. He hung in there. When it was easier to give up, when it was easier to have, hell with y'all, I'm going to the National Baptist, I'm going to American Baptist, I'm gonna be a UMC. <laughs> but Dr. McCall stuck in there. And because of him, I'm now today here. The first African-American in Southern Africa, his presence will be with you. It's going to get tough sometimes. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some tough times. But you got to understand his presence will always be with you. And then one last thing, and I'll say a few more things when I have Q&A time. When tough times come, which they will come. When difficult times come, which they will come. When storms of life come, and they will come. You must remember the promises of Jesus. God's word has promises for every last one of us. Remember the presence of Jesus. If you're born again, if you're saved, if you accepted Jesus into your life, he's a part of you. He's living with you. He's walking with you. He's talking with you. And finally, remember the power of Jesus Christ. Verses 37 through 41, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat to the boat that was already filling it. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Teacher, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace. Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, Golly, who can this man be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Brothers, sisters, ladies and gentlemen, whatever you do, please don't forget the power of Jesus Christ. Right there in Birmingham, Alabama, on my daughter's sofa in the apartment, God reminded me of his promise, of his presence, and of his power. He said, Fred, before you cross the line, before you say anything foolish, look at what happened to these guys. As the old Baptist preacher say, use your sanctified imagination. They're in the boat with Jesus Christ. He's already told them, let's go to the other side. He's taken a nap because, yes, he was divine because he was God's son, but he's also human because he was Mary's baby. And because he was Mary's baby, he got tired like we got tired. Took a nap. While he was taking a nap, a, a storm comes around Dr. door, and, and the boat is being tossed from side to side. Water starts to come into the boat, and these disciples who've been with him now all these years, they freak out. Yes. They panic. Their faith is replaced by fear. Yes. How can he sleep? We're going to die. Why don't he do something? Doesn't he care if we perish? 
And can you imagine what's going on among, among the crowd? Uh, Peter looking at John, John looking at Andrew, Andrew looking at John, and say, come on, somebody wake him up, somebody wake him up. Now, and I can see Peter telling John, come on, John, you his favorite. He like you, John, you wake him up. <laughs> John said, man, my name is Wes, I ain't in that mess, I ain't doing nothing. John looked at Peter and said, Peter, you wake him up. You got to get the game. You always run your mind. Peter said, man, I got rebuked yesterday. I ain't getting rebuked no more. And all this bickering and fussing and fighting. And guess what, David? Jesus wakes up. Kind of wipes the stuff out of his eye like all of us do when we go to sleep on a road trip. Yawns and then asks the question, hey, guys, are we there yet? <laughs> they looked at each other and said, fellas, are we there yet? So Jesus said, Lord, you don't understand. A storm came and water came into the boat. And said, wait a minute. You mean to tell me y'all woke me up from my power nap and we're not dead yet? We said, Lord, we thought we were going to drown. I said, wait a minute, drown? I said, guys, what did I tell y'all before I went to sleep? Did not I say, let's go to the other side? How long have y'all been with me? How many sermons have you heard? How many miracles have you seen? Have I ever told you something that didn't come to pass? Shame on you. You forgot my promises. Drown? Come on, fellas, think. I'm in the same boat with y'all. My daddy didn't send me to drown. He sent me to down the cross. Shame on you. You forgot my presence. Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And Jesus said unto them, Why are you so filled. But David, I believe it just happened just like that. I, I believe Jesus went around that boat and looked each of those guys in the eyes. Why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And that's what I want to encourage somebody today. My faith was shaken. I was mad at God, mad at our president, mad at our mayor. And I could not understand how something like this could happen. But God led me to this passage of scripture that I share all over the country. That if it can happen to this preacher who had the largest church, the city of New Orleans, one of the largest churches of the Baptist Convention, that my faith can literally be shaken because of the storm in my life. It can happen to any of you. And so what do you do when those tough times come? Remember the promises of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. And if you do those three P's, you have one more P, the peace of Jesus Christ. This passing all understanding that will keep your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. So David, after God showed me that text, I repented. I cried out to God, said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doubting you. I'm sorry for not believing in you. But God, this is just something I've never, ever been used to. I had the largest church in the city of New Orleans. I couldn't go anywhere in our city without somebody knowing who I am. But now I'm in a city where I'm only known by my FEMA number. Left New Orleans with two days of close. No one knew me back with two days of close. The bank where we banked that did not even have a branch in Birmingham. Got two days of close, no money, and I found myself in the basement of Sixth Avenue Baptist Church, going through the fellowship hall, trying to find clothes to wear for the next day. One moment, you're talking about people standing in line for government assistance. The next day, I'm in the line for government assistance. It was the most difficult time of my life. But through it all, 
God reminded me that if I don't give up, if I depend on his word, his promises, his presence, and his power will lead me to the peace. And after I accepted that, I immediately started getting calls from around the country. I did not miss one Sunday preaching. My pastor friends from across the country uh, uh, called me and uh, Fred, what are you doing this Sunday? Man, I got nothing to do. I got nowhere to go. And so I began preaching across this country. And everywhere I went, everywhere I went, whether it was here in Atlanta, whether it was in Dallas, which I even preached for David Jeremiah in California. And four of the people, of members of my church were in, it, were in that church today at Shadow Mountain Baptist Church. And so God just began rebuilding my faith, rebuilding my, my hoping again. And then I got a call from my mayor of New Orleans, say, oh, Pastor Luda, we want you to come back to New Orleans. We want you to help us to rebuild the city. And so I, my wife and I went back. My wife wasn't particular on going back because everything was just gone. I said, baby, let's give it three years and see how it go. And uh, by God's grace, the city is growing back now. We're now back up to about 5,000 uh, members. A lot of churches did not open up again, but we've had, had the privilege of rebuilding again. And uh, my faith in God is stronger than it's ever been because now I know what to do when tough times come, when storms come. And I am convinced that if, and I close with this, and then I open up for some q and I'm convinced that if God brings you to it, if God brings you to it, and if you're a child of God, there's nothing you can go through without the permission of God. Remember the story of Job? There's nothing you can go through. But if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. And I'm a living testimony that he will. Good to see one of our former members, man. Good to see you. How are you? Yeah, you and your wife here now? Oh, good to see you, man. This guy, he was a, he was a member of Frank Avenue back in the day. Good to see you, man. God bless you. All right, I'm, I'm through. I'm on any Q&A time. Amen. Let's open up for a few minutes of uh, questions. Any question answer, any questions? Anybody like I'm an open book. Whatever you ask, I will. Yes, sir. Why uh, should African-Americans remain a part of the Southern Baptist Convention? What is the future of this? Country? Great question, great question. Because again, uh, here was a convention that was started as a result of slavery. Uh, nothing we can do about that, uh, and, but, but this convention has, through the years, I've, uh, I've been uh, since 1987. 1995, we made the convention made a public apology to all the African-American pastors and churches in our convention. We apologize for our beginning. We apologize for slavery. Uh, the decision, nothing we can do about that. So we made a public, matter of fact, the convention was here in Atlanta. Uh, 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 James Merritt, who's pastor here, he was president at the time. So we made a, they made a public apology. I was on the committee that did that, that, that we apologize for our past, and uh, everyone is welcome. And I, in 2011, like I say, our executive committee uh, 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 made a resolution that our convention is open to whosoever will. And uh, so this convention has has made a, an effort, a purpose, intentional effort, to let you know that our convention is open, not just to African Americans, but to Asians, to Hispanics, to whosoever will. And so my answer to your question is that, just like with any convention, this is not a perfect convention. We still got our issues. We still have some struggles with, with a lot of things in our convention. But I am convinced as far as, if you're interested in, in missions, if you're interested in, in, in church planning, if you're interested in, the, in reaching people, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has put their money where their mouth is. Well, I think we're one of the only conventions, Dr. McCall may correct me on this, where our missionaries don't have to raise their own money. We, we, we pay for every missionary on the foreign field 
and in, and in NAM. We do that through our cooperative program, Giving. And so uh, we, we put our money where our mouth at. The doors are now open for African Americans. There are opportunities through church planning and taking on other churches, uh, uh, as well as Hispanics and Asian and Native Americans who are also part of it. So it's a different convention. It's not our grandfather's convention that it used to be. Doors open uh, uh, and the opportunities are there. And I would just encourage everybody just you know check it out. Now I will say this to people who who have some uneasiness about the, about just jumping head in, become dual aligned if that's something you're interested. Uh, then we have a lot of churches with dual aligned Southern Baptist and National Baptist uh, uh, or whatever. But but it's a great convention. I would not be where I'm in today and say what I am saying today if I didn't. And I'm not just saying that because I'm president of it. I've uh, I've seen it work in the 25 years that I've been. I've seen the walls of racism come down, and I've seen where the opportunities are available. I ran unopposed. That's amazing. And the convention of 16 million members, 45,000 churches, an African American ran in a, in a year where there's a president's election. Normally when, like this year in Baltimore, there'd be a new, a new president elected. There'd be three, four guys running. Normally there's a year of a president's election, uh, uh, there are three, four guys. I ran on the polls. It's amazing that, that nobody else decided to run. I, I, I felt that everybody across the convention said, it's just time to make it happen. And so the doors open, now it's time to walk through those doors and make it happen. Thanks for your question. Yes, right here and then right here. Uh, yes, sir. In the uh, medical field, you have the Latin, uh, American Medical Association, and you have the National Medical Association, which is the black doctors uh, organization. Of course, at one time, uh, black doctors couldn't be, be a member of the American Medical Association. Mm. In the last 20, 25 years, there has been uh, more of an alliance where the Latin, uh, American Medical Association is reaching out now to minority uh, medical groups. Is the same thing happening in, in Southern Baptist Convention, whereas maybe there's an alliance being drawn between the National Baptist Convention and Progressive National uh, Progressive Baptist Convention? One thing that I was very encouraged about that when I became elected, uh, I got calls from every president of these conventions. I called from President of the National Baptist Convention USA, uh, uh, I don't know the different, and there's, there's USA and there's the other one. Uh, Pastor Thurston out of Chicago is one of them, and Pastor down in the, uh, Alabama, as uh, I described. Uh, Dr. Scrubs is the other one. Got a call from uh, uh, those guys. Just I was told that Dr. Scrubs at his convention made the announcement, and I, he don't know me from Adam. I met him when I preached down in Huntsville. So I have seen that those doors open up in this position where where probably wasn't done. But we've always had. And Dr. McCall, you can help me out with this. We've always had uh, what I think an opportunity to uh, liaison in between the two conventions. Uh, but I think, uh, again, just like in the convention, I think the doors are opening where I've been invited to come to just give greetings at the National Baptist Convention and other conventions. And, uh, and I just hope it continues. I was telling Dr. McCall, one of my concerns is I pray that this doesn't stop after my term is up. It would be, a, it would be tragic. Uh, my prayer is that it, it will continue. So I do see that happening. Yes, I saw the young lady in the back. Yes. Um, Dr. Lewis, first, uh, welcome. Uh, I'm so happy. Thank you. Good to be here. My question is, what are the opportunities for female pastors mm -hmm. in the Southern I knew that question was coming. I expected it. <laughs> I expected it because it's something that I get questions about all across the country. One of the misnomers about this convention 
is that females are not allowed to be ministers of this convention. It's a misnomer because every church in the Southern Baptist Convention is an autonomous church. I am president of the Southern Baptist Convention, but I can't tell any Southern Baptist church what to do, how they have their services, who to have on staff, who to do this. Uh, the, our national headquarters, Frank Page, can never do Every autonomous church can do what they want, meaning that to a lot of people's surprise, we have Southern Baptist churches across the country that have female senior pastors. They are all across the country. We have Southern Baptist churches that not only have female senior pastors, but they have females as associate pastors. So the opportunities are there. Now, is that every church in the convention? No, but there's a lot of them. So the opportunities are there uh, for any Southern Baptist church. It's, it's up to them to make that decision. If the, the national headquarters nor president cannot tell a church not to bring on a, a female associate or hire a senior female associate, that's up to every individual church in the convention to make it happen. So I guess what needs to happen, you need to just find out which, because that, that's not all of them, but, you, but there are a lot of them. So you need to find out which one of them are, are, are open to that and, and make yourself available that, if that's something you choose to do, even here in Atlanta. Yeah. So there are, there are opportunities out there. In the back, yes. Dr. Luger, what do you hope uh, that your, that the mark that you will leave, what, what do you hope your legacy will be? Great question. My, my legacy, hopefully, that, that he was a guy who did his best to bring the convention together. We, for, for whatever the reason, this convention has always been known for fighting about something. Always, whether it's about women in ministry, whether it's about the uh, Calvinism, whether it's about you know all I mean we we about Boy Scouts, or whether it's homosexuals in the ministry. I mean we've always had something to fight about. Always, it's a, it's like every year it seems like there's something on the agenda that we're fighting about. By the grace of God, these past two years, in my opinion, it has been some of the calmest times in our convention. Uh, Dr. Al Mulder, who's president of Southern Seminary, but David, as a matter of fact, uh, 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 Ronnie Floyd has come out and said that he's going to run for the be president of the next convention as president of Southern Baptist He's out of Arkansas. Dr. Mulder, in his nominating speech, said that Fred Luther has been a blessing to this convention because Fred Luther has brought this convention together unlike any other president. So that's what I hope my legacy would be, that here's a guy that that reached out across the room to bring people together for the sake of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. There's no one church that can do it all. And so my challenge to all the presidents of the seminaries, my challenge to all the entity heads when I spoke to them and we meet in Nashville, Tennessee, was that, listen guys, I have a two-year window here. I, I, I only have two years to do what I can do. I'm not bringing up any new agenda. I'm not bringing up any new program. I want to stand beside the seminary presidents, stand beside the entity heads, stand beside the churches and say, what can we do as a convention to make the main thing the main thing? And the main thing is the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, saving those who are lost, strengthening those who are saved, building strong churches, do church planning, and, 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 and strengthening those churches who are weak. So, so that's hope what my legacy has been, that here's a guy who reached across and has made this convention better in the area of racial reconciliation, and also in the area of bringing back folk to the purpose that we're here, and that's to win the loss. Yes, sir. 
Uh, we talk about history about the Southern Baptist Church. Yes, sir. Um, in 2012, I think it was June 2012, Southern Baptist churches can now be called Great Commission. That's correct. Uh, how is that going? Uh, yeah, that's, you know, there have been, Pastor Philip, there have been five times, I've got to call it again, make you, that, that this, that there's been a, a change, a try to change the name in our convention. That Dr. Brian Wright tried to do it in his last year uh, as president, where to change the name from Southern Baptist Convention to something else. Because we're no longer just Southern Baptist. We have churches everywhere. We have churches up in New York. We have churches in California. We have churches, we have churches everywhere. And so those churches who are in New York and California, and for, you know, they, they feel that that name, Southern Baptist, hinders them. And to the extent it does, they kind of, oh, y'all Southern Baptist? No, because un unfortunately, we, we took, we're known for what we're against. And that's bad to be known for what we're against. Y'all against women preachers. Y'all against this, y'all against that. We know too much for what we're against. And so that name has hindered a lot of people from getting involved in something. So there's been a desire by a lot of people across the convention to change the name so we won't have that, that label. Unfortunately, they did a study about it and thing like that, and they just said it, it would just be too big of a task to change the name. So what they, what we did at the convention, we gave churches who want to be Southern Baptist an alternative. If you don't want to be called Southern Baptist, you can, you can, you can call Great Commission churches. And so that's an option. However, it's just not as well known as Southern Baptist. We have a lot of Southern Baptist churches who are choosing not to even put Southern, not to even to put Southern Baptist in their name, or even put Baptist in their name, because they're trying to identify, because this is a totally different generation. And our generation today is not, like when I was growing up, I didn't have a choice when I went to church. I had to go to church, but I, uh, and, and I had to go to the Baptist church where my mom was at. Uh, but but the, we have a generation of folk that there's no allegiance to the Baptist church. Uh, particularly, we got all these other churches that are offering so much for families and friends. So, so there is an effort uh, to use Great Commission churches. It's not as popular as uh, we would like it to be. But it's, I think it's going to come back up again in maybe another five years from now because we will, until we do something about that name, we'll always be labeled. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give a big hand. Thank y'all. Thank you. Uh, we have been to church this morning. Uh, this ain't just been a lecture. Uh, so I do would ask Dr. McCall if you'll come forward to do a closing benediction, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I just, a couple of things, let me say. Understand y'all, and I'm talking to students now, understand that there are times in seminary that you will hear things that will stick with you. So you're going to find a time in your life somewhere that you're going to have your back against the wall. Yes. And I hope that you'll remember Jesus' promises, Jesus' presence, Jesus' power, and Jesus' peace can be part of it. I hope today was one of those moments, one of those hours that you'll take with you in ministry because you're going to need it. He's right. You will come in storm, so I hope that you will do that. I do want you all to get just a brief moment to uh, uh, hear from, in the form of a benediction, uh, Dr. Emmanuel McCall, the one who uh, Pastor Luter was referencing. Uh, again, as was referenced, Dr. McCall is a Demon graduate of here. He's one of ours. He's a Demon graduate, so we claim him. Yes, give him the can. He is one of our clan alums. Uh, 68, so for a lot of us, we have to go back in our imagination. Some of y'all weren't even there in 68, so some of y'all weren't. But just understand, here in Atlanta, 1968, 
understand the context that he was in. Yeah. Fortunately, in those days, the Home Mission Board, now the North American Mission Board, was fairly progressive in some ways and really said, we want to pay and hire full-time person to do some race relations right in the heart of Atlanta. And for 23 years, up until 1990, uh, Dr. McCall was the person. He was the man. So uh, just, just for us to be connected to you, Dr. McCall, it's a privilege on our part. So we want to welcome you here. If you'll give a kind of closing benediction in your former fashion, and then we'll be dismissed. Thank you all. And take a moment to see Dr. Luther, uh, Reverend Luther I would love to meet y'all. And it's not over for me. Tonight when I finish my work at church, Friendship Baptist Church, I'm driving to Phoenix, Alabama. For the first time, the black and white brothers want to get together. And I'm meeting them in the morning. Amen. So it's, it doesn't end. Thank God it doesn't end. Amen. Would you bow with me? Lord, thank you for raising up men like Brother Luter. Thank you for the courage, the tenacity, the ability to communicate, the ability to feel, to empathize, and to lead us as we strive in faith. Thank you for him. We pray that you would bless him in the task that he's undertaking. Give to him wisdom and strength and power for yet what is ahead. With that same prayer, we pray for everyone in this room. Go before us, go beside us, be beneath us, surround us. May we do that which you've commissioned each of us to do. May we do it wholeheartedly with all that we have so that God will be glorified. Be with us this day for all the things that we'll experience in the rest of this day. May your grace and peace be with us. In the name of Jesus we pray. The preceding program is copyrighted by Emory University.